Hi everyone, my name is Tom and I'll be reading the Word of God for us and we're reading from Ephesians chapter 4 starting at verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, that they are darkened in the understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not let, uh, do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such as an idolater, idolater, (laughs) has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. I'll try again. Good morning, everyone. 
Fantastic. Well, today, um, that's the title of my sermon, 52 Thoughts for Better Living. I've never had to tackle a 52-point sermon before, and so you're in luck. Um, However, your lunch engagement might have to be put off for a while. No, seriously, I'm not going to be... I won't have 52 points. Um, But as I prepared this, this talk... I remembered that title from a booklet that many years ago was published by um, an Adelaide pastor. He's actually the pastor of Trinity City at that time, about four senior pastors, maybe more, um, before Paul Harrington. And uh, each week he had the opportunity to um, contribute a small article um, into the Adelaide Advertiser so everyone around the state could catch up on what his thought for the week was. And at the end of of one of the years he published it as um, 52 thoughts for the the year so you could have one of those um, a year. So it just struck me as we're talking about resolutions and we're talking about how we can um, think of in practical terms how we can think about engaging with our world and engaging with our God and becoming um, better Christians by the things that we actually practice. Um, So that, that was the idea of one a year and I don't know whether you established resolutions a few days back, 15 days ago, whether you actually do that. Um, doesn't matter if you do or not. The Bible actually seems to recommend that we do, that we resolve, resolve things. So, um, and not just for, not just as a one-off thing, but things that we should be practising all year round. How do we, how do we, um, how do we do this? Well, Amanda's already suggested some and ways of doing that, and we've had those practical tips from people on the screen. Um, but really, from the beginning of chapter four in Ephesians, Paul writes about our behaviour as Christians. He wants us to live. He wants us to um, live holy lives be imitators of, of <clears throat> be imitators of God as holy children. We have become children of God. We're not slaves or servants trying to earn a wage, but we live as children of God. Now Lynn and I have two grandchildren, and if you're a grandchildren or a grandparent or a parent, it's fascinating to watch children as they grow and as they learn, and they often learn by imitating their parents. That's what they do, that's how they learn. And Paul is saying that that's how we should be. New people in Christ, like children, and we should be imitators of God. So who was Paul writing to? Paul was writing to um, the Ephesian church, although the letter may have 
circulated widely among other churches in Asia. Ephesus was a place visited by Paul when he went there with Priscilla and Aquila on his second missionary journey and he stayed for a very short time before moving on to Jerusalem. And Acts 19 tells us that on his third missionary journey Paul visited again and he stayed for a long period of time, I'm not sure whether it was two or three years, but he initially followed up on some disciples of John the Baptist and he baptised them again in the name of Jesus where they received the Holy Spirit. In his time in Ephesus, Paul would have formed some lasting friendships. So his purpose in writing this letter was not, as he does in other letters, was, it was not necessary to correct any major errors that the church might have encountered. But this was a, more of a letter of encouragement, a sort of keep on keeping on type of letter. At the same time, he also wanted to encourage them um, that he was okay because they had no doubt heard that he was imprisoned in Rome. He writes the letter in two broad parts. Part one is how God is fulfilling his purpose <coughs> and, that, and then the reconciliation of people to himself. And this leads to how God's purpose was to form and build the church. And from chapter four right through to chapter six, Paul goes through a list of practical ways to fulfil God's purpose in the church. Some doctrines and, and living the Christian life are not separated in Paul's thinking. But in, in Ephesians, Paul wants to give some explicit examples. What should the Christian life look like? Well, the believer's life is to be lived in a manner worthy of the great purposes of God. The believer's calling is not merely to be saved or to be eternally happy, but to participate, participate with the entire, entire body, the church, in bringing glory to God. So it's about us individually, as part of the body of Christ, the church, but not for what we might get out of it, but how we should collectively live in this world. While Paul gives a list of things to do or not do, Paul describes them in the context of who we have become as children of God. He says, follow God's example. Walk in love, he says, just as Christ loved us. It means taking deliberate action. It's not something that comes by accident. It involves real work on our part. This is not about being saved by works, but living in a way that demonstrates our new life. The Christian life is then a working out of who we have become through the work of Jesus in our lives. Praise God that we do not have to achieve this in our own strength. The first way to fulfil God's purpose is to maintain the unity he established in the church. 
this is, a, this is accomplished by recognising the strong basis for unity. That is, we have one Lord, one faith, as we read in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 4. Then believers must acknowledge diversity in that unity, remembering that God has given each one special abilities or gifts. We can establish that unity by meeting together, by fellowshipping together after church and by being part of a community group as a few examples. These things are not just for the individual's benefit but are to be used to bring the church to maturity. God's purpose is fulfilled through this diversity. Christian maturity enables the individual members of the church to relate to each other in love, as we read in verse 26. Another way of, of a, to accomplish the purposes of God is by renewal of personal life. Paul emphasises the kind of lifestyle that is expected of a Christian by contrasting the behaviour patterns which had characterised the believers before their conversion. But the new life of the believer is not merely a reaction against the old. It's not like a home renovation, patching up the old and making it look again uh, looking, at, looking at it new again on the outside, we are being told to throw out the old self and put on the new self. Rather, the Lord has given both his teachings and the example of his own sacrificial love. The Lord Jesus has given us a new humanity. The believer should cast off his old way of life, his old self or character. Um, some translations call it the old man in Paul's wording um, and not necessarily old nature. He should be at, at the same time be putting on the new man which in Paul's words in verse 24 of chapter 4 is created according to God or as the NIV puts it, created to be like God. We have become new creations and that is how we were created to be in the image of God. Well, what do we know about these people, the Ephesians? They are men and women who God has blessed with every spiritual blessing in the, in the heavenly places in Christ from the first three verses in the letter. In particular, God had chosen them in his Son before the foundation of the world and predestined them to be adopted to his sons and daughters in Christ before the foundation of the world. For their part, they had heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and taken it on for themselves. So what are the things that Paul urges these Ephesians to do? Well, be different. Be different to the non-believer. Be different to their former lives. He tells them that they have a different set of values and they, the non-believers, are darkened in their understanding and that they are ignorant of the ways of God because of their hardness of heart. They do not have the same values of God. 
Not to say that all non-Christians that we meet are eel-doers. Um, so many people in our world do good works and benefit humanity greatly. There, this is a reflection that, that we, as humanity, we are created in God's image and therefore we reflect his goodness even though we are broken people. Being, being ignorant of the true values of things in relation to God and eternity, we yield naturally to things of this world. That is, our desires go after the wrong things or after all things in the wrong way. None of our natural desires in our brokenness brings us into a relationship with God. None of our good works. And so in the end, they are all in vain. So Paul says in verse 20, it's not the way that Christians should be. He tells us to put off our old self the way we used to be. The old self which belongs to our former life is corrupted through deceitful desires. So what should we be doing? Being renewed in the spirit of your minds, he says. Put on the new self, created in the likeness of God. Be who we are meant to be. He urges us to be holy and righteous like God. And what are some of these characteristics? Well, some to avoid. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth with your neighbour. It's okay to be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't harbour it. Doing that allows Satan to attack and we give him those opportunities. Do not steal. Rather do honest labour so that there are resources to share with others in need. Don't let corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only good for building up. Don't cause the Holy Spirit to grieve, to be sorrowful for our sin. He is our comforter until the time of Christ's return. And get rid of all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and malice. But in contrast, live like this. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. He forgave us in all our sin and wrongdoing and rebellion against God. It's a tall order, you might say, but God has given us the Holy Spirit to comfort and strengthen us. And so as we look at the beginning of chapter 5 this morning, how do we do these things? How should we be different? Be imitators of God, Paul says. And then he lists many other things to avoid. Sexual immorality, all impurity and covetousness, no filthiness or foolish talk, no crude joking. And having listed those, Paul reminds us that we are now no longer living in darkness but are children of the light. So he tells us to have no part in this, to be wise in how we walk the Christian life. Do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And verses 19-21 to 21 describe the effects of being filled with the Spirit. The effect in verse 19 
It's clearly joy in Christ is the mark of being filled with the Spirit. But not only joy, also gratitude, perpetual gratitude, gratitude for everything, which obviously reduces grumbling and self-pity and bitterness and scowling and murmuring and depression and worry and discouragement and gloominess and pessimism. But not only joy and universal gratitude but also loving submission to each other's needs. Joy, gratitude and humble love. These are the marks of being filled with the Spirit. Oh, how Paul urges us that we need to be filled with the Spirit. Here's how Paul illustrates it. He says, don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. So how do you get drunk with wine? Don't answer that. You drink it, don't you? Lots of it. So how then shall we get drunk or filled with the Holy Spirit? Seek things of the Spirit. It's not about losing control. It's about having a focus on God's Word. Lots of it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12.13, and I can't read that from here, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We were all made to drink one Spirit, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. How can you drink the Spirit? Paul said, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit in Romans 8.5. We drink the Spirit by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit which means seek the things that are above. So drinking the Spirit means seeking the things of the Spirit, directing your attention to the things of the Spirit and being devoted to the things of the Spirit. And what are the things of the Spirit? The things of the Spirit are the teachings of the apostles about God. In John 6, Jesus also said, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Therefore, the teachings of Jesus are also the things of the Spirit. So drinking the Spirit means setting our minds on the things of the Spirit and setting our minds on the, <coughs> setting our minds on the things of the Spirit means directing our attention to the teachings of the apostles about God and to the words of Jesus. And if we do this long enough, we will, in a sense, get drunk with the Spirit. In fact, we'll be addicted to the Spirit. Instead of a chemical dependency, we will develop a wonderful spirit dependency. Well, that's just scratching the surface of chapters 4 and 5. And they're not 52 thoughts in this sermon, as I said. But there's enough to work on in those two chapters to, to really start us thinking about how can we resolve to live a better Christian life in this world. But Paul is saying that we have become new creations 
but the act of living as the new self might take us a while. It might take us 52 days or 52 weeks or 52 years or maybe even longer. This is about working to be holy, working to be godly. It's a life's work. So, additional homework to what Amanda has given us. Can I urge you this week to reread these chapters? This week and into the future, let us remember the new creations we have become in Christ and to live like it. Make it a thought for better living, a New Year's resolution, to read our Bibles every day so that we might gain a greater understanding of how we are meant to live as God's children and put what we learn into practice. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you in that while we were yet far off, you called us to be Christians. We thank you that we've become new creations in Christ. Please help us to complete our transformation by working hard to throw off the old self and live like the new creations you have made us. We recognise that this may take us our lifetime. Please help us not to be grumblers and full of self-pity and bitterness and scowling and murmuring and depression and worry and discouragement and gloominess and pessimism, but to live as you designed us to live. Please send your spirit to each one of us that we might be encouraged through all the temptations of this world. Give us the strength to resist and be different. And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.